0: Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show.
1: Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out! Doo, 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 doo. Book Bus! HarperCollins Book Bus! Brought to you by Library Love
0: Fest! Hi, everyone. This is Lainey. I'm very excited to welcome you back to the podcast today because we have a great editor's unedited episode for you. Today, we welcome Juan Mila, who is the editorial director at Harper Via. Hi Juan.
1: Hi Lainey, thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you for being on and you have a great author guest. I'm gonna turn it over to you.
1: All right, yes, we are very, very excited to be speaking today to Joel Decare. So uh, yes, Joel Dicker is hailed in the Francophone media as the king of suspense, was born in Geneva in 1985, He's the author of five novels that have been translated into 40 languages and sold over 12 million copies worldwide. The award-winning The Truth About Harry Cabert Affair was an instant New York Times bestseller and was the top-selling French book in the last decade. Harper Villa will publish his fifth novel, The Enigma of Room 622, on September 13th. So. Thank you, Joël, for speaking to us today. Thank you for being here with us about the enigma of Room 622.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me here. I'm really, really excited about this book getting released in English and getting released especially in the States because I have a lot of ties with the United States. I've been coming to the States for I don't know, the last 25 years. I have cousins in Washington, D.C., I spent a lot of time in Maine. They used to have a summer house in Maine, so it's a place I know pretty well. And of course, it's a special place for me. I'm very happy to be able to share my work with my American readers. An email from six twenty-two is a book set in Geneva and in the Swiss Alps. It's a very important book for me because it's the very first book that is set in Switzerland, my hometown where I was born, where I still live. And I really wanted to give my readers a glimpse of Switzerland through a gripping fiction, and the history is surprisingly happening in the bank, and the story of the succession in the bank. President of the bank and owner of the bank, Abel Abusnir, is just passed away. The question on everyone's lips is who is going to be the next president. It's a big competition between a few people in the bank, but especially between two of them, Kerr, the son of Abel, and Lev Levovich, who is a young, charming man, who is the son that Abel wished he had. And so there is this competition for love, for the father, for power in the bank. And there's a few, there's like two weeks before the president will be elected and will be nominated as the president of the bank. And of course, what is going to happen? The day of the election, someone will die. I will not tell you who, and that's to be discovered in the book. One of the particularity of the book, and it's difficult, you know, it's difficult to to tell about this book and not to spoil it. But I want to say something that was pretty funny for me to write is this book starts with a murder. It's the morning in a very luxury hotel in the Swiss Alps. An employee of the hotel is coming into one of the rooms, is bringing breakfast. And all of a sudden, there's a body on the floor. Someone is dead. Someone has been murdered. And that's the beginning of the story. And for the next 300 pages, you don't know who passed away. You don't know who has been murdered. You know what happened in this room and you come back to finally discover who has been killed and then to discover, of course, who did that. Kind of a typical classical whodunit it in a new, new way of uh, telling it because it's quite modern and the setting is quite different because, as I just told you before, it's set in Switzerland.
1: Right. Another thing that sets it apart from your previous novels, besides the fact that it's set in your hometown of Geneva and in the Swiss Alps, is the fact that uh, it has a protagonist who investigates this murder, who's a writer and whose name is Joel De And it feels it has a, also a personal side, not only in that you bring Geneva into the story, but in that you discuss your relationship with Bernard de Fallois, who was your first publisher in France. Tell us about that and plays into the story, because this makes the book quite unusual.
2: Hmm. Yeah, indeed. This book was very special to me also, because it was the first book I wrote after Bernard de Fallois passed away. Bernard de Fallois was my publisher in France, and he was the very first person to believe in me. And he's also the one who was able to make my previous book such a success in the world. He He was a fantastic man he was a mentor to me he was really someone who gave me like so many things as a human being you know he taught me so many things as a publisher about writing about about life in general it was really really one of the big stone that i was able to build my path on and and he passed He was older than me he was born in 1926
1: when you <laughs> met him you were How old and how old
2: was he? When I met him, I was 25, 26, and he was 86. It was funny because it was not like a father-son relationship. It was really like a close friend and also a mentor. He taught me so many things. I owe this guy so much. And when he passed away, I really wanted to tell about him. And my first reaction was to just write a few stories about Bernard and I, actual stories, true stories. I need to write it so I don't forget it. Even though I was not afraid to forget Bernard, but you know, what's vivid, you need to write it down. So you remember everything, all the details. You don't create fiction. It's funny for a writer. Like I wanted this story to be very accurate and very vivid. And I did that. And it was a succession of few stories. What I really want is for my reader to read this story. Because I want to share who was Bernard to me. I want to use this as an opportunity. For my readers all over the world to meet Bernard de Valois and to tell a bit about what a fantastic man he was. So I was like but what I should do is use these stories and incorporate them in a novel and make this kind of like fiction and non-fiction story where I will tell a fiction and within the fiction I will tell non-fiction about Bernard. So this made this book who can seems like very complicated when I say fiction and non-fiction. In the reality it's not because in the reality it's very clear, and because of this, I named the narrator in the fiction story, the investigation, and the, the murder in the room 622. His name is Joel. So when Joel, in the novel and the fiction, remembers about her, I can like put this non-fiction part, which if you don't know this story, I just told you, you don't realize. You just think it's part of the novel. And for me, it's very special because at the same time, it's a novel, and at the same time, it's the true story of my relationship with this amazing uh, gen- gentleman named Bernard de Fallois.
1: Yes, you, you you tell a little bit about that in the in the book. But tell us how that the beginning of that relationship was. You sent him your novel. You had at that point published one novel before.
2: No, no. So thing is, my very first published novel, who was actually my fifth one because before that I wrote five mm. novels and they got rejected by all the publishing houses I submitted them to. Finally, my fifth novel was accepted by a Swiss publisher who was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's interesting. But he was like, I think this novel would fit the French market. So he was a friend of Bernard and he went to Bernard a few times in Paris and said, you should read this novel and you should give it a try. Because I think this should be something that you might be willing to publish because it's about France and it might be interesting for you. And Bernard read the novel and I was like, no, I don't like it at all. And unfortunately, this very first Richard passed away in a car accident. And Bernard after that, called me. as was like, listen, we need to talk because uh, there's this book. I don't like it, the book you wrote. I don't believe in it. But as a sign of friendship and to remember this friend in Switzerland, I will publish it. And so the beginning of our relationship was very complicated because I had this publisher who actually published my work, not because he liked it, Not because he believed in it, but because of some kind of a pledge he made to someone else. So I was in the middle of it, and it was not comfortable at all. It was a difficult relationship. We were not friends at all, Berna and I. And after that, I don't know. Suddenly, something just clicked. And uh, in the meantime, I had finished writing my next novel called *The Truth About the Hierarchy Affair*. And he read it, and it was like, "Oh, we need to make it. We need to publish it very quickly because I think this novel would have a huge success." And I was like, but Bernard, we just released our first book. It was not a success. We, we sold like probably 200 copies and my grandparents uh, bought a uh, hundred and a half of them. Like, it's not a success. And I was like, you will see, Joel. this new book will be a success. We need to publish it in three months. I was like, in three months, Bernard, it's crazy. And I was like, it's a, it's a no-go. Forget about it. He kept insisting so much. I was like, hey, maybe I should listen to this old guy and try it. He was so convinced with the story. He called like 300 booksellers in France and called them and said, listen, I am Bernard de Fallois. And he's in France. He was like a very renowned, a very well-known publisher. And within a week, like every day, 20 a day, even more, like all day long, we'll call the people and say, hi, this is Bernard de Fallois. And the, and the bookseller would be like, what do you mean, Bernard de Fallois in Paris? Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm calling you because I have this book. I really believe in it. I need you to give me a big favor, please read it. I will send it to you today. You will receive it tomorrow. Read it, please." And the next day, Bernard will call again. The same person say, this is Bernard. Did you receive the package? Yeah, the person, yeah. (laughs) Okay, open it. I want to make sure that, yeah, you have it. Please call me back tomorrow, read it. And he was so enthusiastic that the booksellers went, wait, 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 but we need to read this book. We need to give it a try because like this, this old famous publisher in Paris, He's calling us in this remote little town in France and he's calling us not only once but twice or three times to make sure that we will, that we receive the book and that we're going to start it and uh, to try it. Like we need to try this book. And this is how we build the success of the book because we have no budget, with nothing else but just a phone call. He was able to put like all the booksellers in France in his pocket and to, with, with their help, the book was a big success.
1: The initial conversation was in June and the book was published in mid-September, right? Absolutely, beginning of At, September. In a time of the year in which you know most French books are published in August and September, right? Like there's a big, big push. Worse, booksellers like... are very busy. Everyone has so many books to read. So that was remarkable.
2: It's the worst period to publish because there's like hundreds and, and hundreds of new novels getting back up from huge marketing teams and big publishing names. and But Bernard, in the middle of that, was able uh, to point at this book. It was a miracle. And a miracle <laughs> at the same time now because it was Bernard. He was this kind of man. And you know, a lot of booksellers, they told me like, why did they react the way they react when Bernard called them? It was because usually when when a publisher called them it's like every month and to say this month this book is fantastic and then this book is fantastic so all the books are always fantastic in their mouth and so the credibility is not huge you see what i mean like when someone tells you all the time this is great this is great this is great when something is actually great you don't really believe in it i never called us before it was for us it was a sign that it was something special that if someone that would have never called us before all of a sudden call, it was a sign that something happened
1: with this book. That's really amazing. <laughs> and and uh, tell us more about why Switzerland this time. It's really interesting. It's, it's really a love letter to Switzerland, to Geneva, to this little town called Verviers, the Alps, the places. The, these are very specific landscapes and buildings and Tell us more about why choosing the banking uh, milieu to tell this story, which is also quite unique.
2: Yes, so to tell you why about Switzerland, which I need to explain before that, my books before were set in the States, in the United States, for the reason I told you before when we started, I told you that I spent a lot of time in the States and that I know the East Coast pretty well. And mm-hmm. then I realized as a young author and as writing fiction, I realized that I had in the United States the opportunity of setting a fiction in a place that I know very well Mm -hmm. and places that I could describe very well, but with a distance between me, Joel, between being in Geneva and setting the action in the city. So this distance was very important for me because I wanted to write fiction and I wanted to create stories, not about my reality, not about my life, not about Joel, but really something that I create because... This is what I do when I read a novel, I want to read something far away from me because what I enjoy, if I want to read the reality, I read the newspaper. You know, when I read a novel, that's personal with me as a reader. When I read a novel, I want to escape my own life and live a different life. And so that's what I wanted to do as an author. But I realized that setting a story in Geneva, where I was born and where I live, it was setting a story in my reality was difficult for me to write fiction in the reality was very difficult as opposed to, this, to the United States where I was like the distance would make it very easy to me and so after a few books set in the states says like i need now to challenge myself to write a book that will be set in geneva set in switzerland set in places that i know and places where i live but it needs to be pure fiction so it was a big challenge for me very difficult at first because Okay, but if I want to create in a street that I know, a street that I walk down every day, I want to create a restaurant or something that does not exist, or a place, or a fountain, or whatever, I'm there every day and I see that it does not exist. So it was very difficult. And but I was like, I want to make it happen, I want this challenge, I need to succeed in this challenge because otherwise, I will be always stuck creating stories in the United States, which is very nice. I love this place, but I need to make something different sometimes. It was tough at first. And then, I don't know how, but all of a sudden, like it was very easy. I really enjoyed it. I was able to use everything I love in Switzerland, everything I love in Geneva. Also some cliche, of course, because it helps. But I was able to use them as a tool to create fiction around it. And I think that a cliche, and for instance, you mentioned the banks. The banks, of course, is something that is very, for me, that was very nice to use because... You use something that represents, that embodies Switzerland for everybody. And the fact that in Switzerland, the private banks are family-owned. So it's the same family that owns the bank for generations and centuries and centuries. It gives you the opportunity to create a family story, which is always good because it triggers in your reader's mind stories that they know because all the families are the same. Whatever you own a bank or you don't, whatever you're rich or you're poor, whatever you're famous or you're not, whatever you're happy or unhappy, families works worldwide on the same mod- model. And so it was very funny for me to use this very universal theme, the family, and to put it in something very specific, very cliche,
1: a bank. There's also a very secretive world. No, there is, it is there. Not much is known about how these small, very private institutions.
2: No, it's true. It's very private because... For a very long time, it had changed a little, but the business model of this private bank was people like taking money, um, undeclared money from the government, the country mm. they were living in, and bringing the money in Geneva or in Zurich and hiding the money there. So of course, this business model to work was supposed to be very secret, very safe. Right, right. And uh, the guarantee for the bank, the model of the bank was your money is safe within right. our walls, but not safe from the robbery, safe from IRS. or right, right. right. Tax yes. That's how it was built. It has changed now, but for decades, it was the system, it was the mother.
1: That's right, that's right. And you do have a lot of fun with the fact that this is an imaginary setting and an imaginary story, and this is about imagination and having fun with these characters and types. And I thought it was interesting how the novel has a kind of a classical tone to it in terms of like classical mystery novels. I think there's a a way of paying homage as well to the atmosphere and the sense of place in in classical detective fiction like Conan Doyle and Agatha Christie. I
2: love them. I'm a huge fan of Conan Doyle. I'm a huge fan of Agatha Christie as well. And I'm a huge fan of this classical who done it for the atmosphere. What mm. I really liked with both of them is the fact that it's even though there's a crime and there's a murder, there's like bad story happening in the story. The atmosphere is all the time very enjoyable. It's nice cottage in England or it's nice old place. And it's like happy people at first. It's a place where you want to be. It's an atmosphere world that you want to be surrounded with. And I think this is very important that this is like, especially in these difficult times or times of coronavirus, pandemic, uh, lockdown and everything, or also difficult time in terms of what is going to happen, especially in Europe with the war in Ukraine. and Like, I think that books needs to be a safe place. That's what I think. And we can disagree with that, of course. I really believe that books need to be a safe place. It means that the reader will feel safe all the time. And that's something that I love in Conan Doyle, for instance, that that you know when the story starts and someone is knocking on Sherlock Holmes' door and immediately you know that he will see because of the hat, the way the hat is on or something on his shirt or pins or the way he, he has a cane and then the way the cane is shaped or whatever, all these details, that you know from it, Sherlock Holmes oh, you are coming from there, and I just saw the train ticket from your pocket, and you yeah. Like, oh, I love this guy, it's amazing. And even though this guy is coming to see Sherlock Holmes because someone is, has been murdered or disappeared, or not what, even though it's a bad story, you feel good, you feel like you want to know more. And uh, yes, you want Sherlock Holmes to hop on the next train and to go to this cottage to discover what happened there. And not only as a reader, you're in a safe place, but you want to be part of the story. And that is something very important for me that I wanted also to pay tribute to with this book. So there's this classical atmosphere in a luxury hotel, in the mountains. It's, uh, it's cozy, it's comfy, like you feel good. And then I wanted like to pay tribute with this atmosphere. But on the same way, I also wanted to add like a modern twist, if I can say so. And with all the respect, of course, I have and for this amazing author, huge author, a modern twist, I mean like an investigation and, a, and the thrilling part being like quite modern, happening now. Whereas sometimes if you reread Conland today, with all due respect again, but sometimes the resolution of the crimes, the way the mystery is solved, sometimes like, ah, could have been better. It's different times and of course. The last one I read was a story where like a murder happened in a closed room and how it happened. In the end, you discover that someone like put a snake within the door and the snake went and bites the person who was sleeping with the with the door locked and the snake came back and the guy put take the snake back and this is how the person was killed if you do that today in the novel i think the bookseller will throw the book at me and they will be right because we need something a little more up-to-date
1: i think you also give it a, a kind of a modern point of view in how you have fun with invention and artifice in a, a little bit in, at some point Reminded me of Wes Anderson's movies, Grand Budapest Hotel. I don't know, the, the way in which you use all these elements of this classical kind of sense of place, no? And have fun with them.
2: Yeah, and what a great movie. And again, it's a movie where no matter what happened in the movie and the story, you feel good. The picture is very nice. The lights are very important. All the colors. It's a movie full of colors. And it's something I tried to do too with this book. Uh, even though it's the Witten time and even though it's like... It's filled with snow and a lot of white and cold and everything. You want to be warm. You want to see the colors. You want your brain to be stimulated. That's very important.
1: Wonderful. And to finish, let me ask you, uh, are there any plans to turn this novel into a movie? Because yeah, I know that The Truth About Harry Covert was turned into a TV series.
2: Yeah, yeah. There are a few options on the table to adapt the Dignity from 622. We'll see where it goes. I'm very superstitious, so I prefer to wait and see, you know, the business model of the TV shows now is like a lot of people make you a lot of promise, but then you're not sure if it will happen or not. So I hope it will, because there's a few nice projects that could be done, and I will be delighted to be also able to bring a TV show in Switzerland to bring the viewers to see the mountains and the Swiss Alps uh, that we have here.
1: Well, thank you so much for speaking to us today, Joel. Congratulations. Thank you and
2: thank you very much. And I'm very, again, I'm very excited about this book to be released in the States. I'm excited to have like all the feedbacks so and to know what the booksellers will think of it.
1: We're very much looking forward to September 13th when it will be available. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. See you next week.